I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew, the 16th chapter, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. I just want to say, praise God for the Holy Spirit, amen? You know, it's just really something to me that um, Brother Tim led worship this morning. Uh, I didn't confer with him about song choice. He didn't confer with me about what passages uh, that I was going to speak from. And that last song we sang is precisely the passage that I'm going to be sharing this morning. So let that be a comfort to you in the Holy Spirit that God is, is working. And God has his hand. He sees us. And he has his hand on us for his purposes. So let me read here this famous passage in Matthew uh, chapter 16. This is when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And it says in verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking comfort, truth, and guidance to us from of old, Lord God. We give you glory and praise and thanks for that. God, we ask that you give us an open ear to hear your word this morning and ask God that you would give me lips to speak that word which is for your people this day. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, now here's the question. Many things going on in this passage. A lot of people have noted and there's some uh, question between the Catholic realm and the Protestant realm about what rock means. Peter means rock, and then Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon this rock. And, you know, uh, obviously the Catholic Church has taken that to mean the same thing, that Peter is the rock upon which he's building the church. But in reality, these are two different words for rock, right? One's the kind of rock you can hold in your hand and put in your pocket. That's Peter. And the other type of rock is a massive boulder upon which uh, you can use as a foundation for a huge edifice. And that's really what Jesus is saying. And I'm I'm of the school of thought, as many Protestants, even though I was raised uh, Roman Catholic, that Jesus, the rock upon which he's going to build his church, is that declaration that Peter had just made, that Jesus is the Messiah, right? That's the rock upon which that the church will be built. But the, the significant thing I want to fo- focus here is Jesus' statement that the gates of hell, the gates of Hades is the word that, that's used in the original language, will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Now, the question that we have to ask is, what does Jesus mean by church? And what does he mean overall by this promise that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church? The reason why I say we need to investigate this, is just kind of work it out a little bit, think about it, How can he say this and and what does he mean by saying it is in light of the direction of what we would call Western civilization and Christendom or the the, uh, expression of Christianity that's been known for centuries throughout Western civilization. We look at Europe. Europe for most people today is seen as sort of... um, uh, sort of degraded, sort of uh, 
apostate and secular and there's a lot of wickedness. But, but you have to understand, Europe was the basis of Christianity and missionary activity for centuries. It's the, it's the home of the Reformation. It's the home of the birth of the modern missionary movement. Even in the different expressions, whether you're talking about the Anglican Church in England or the Lutheran Church in Germany or even expressions of Christianity in France and Spain, the, the gospel and the word of Christ has gone out into different parts of the world. And we look at Europe now and we see that churches are closing not by the score, but by the hundreds. There are churches in England, there are church, the, the birthplace of modern missions, there are churches in Germany that are now being used as pubs, that are being converted into mosques, that are being converted into Sikh temples. Some are being torn down. Some are being used as apartment buildings. The, the church is, is so uh, sparsely attended that uh, the, the uh, income can't uh, support the maintenance of these majestic works of art, which are gorgeous and beautiful and, and storied, but they're expensive to maintain. It's, it's expensive to maintain a cathedral. And so that's, that's, that's alarming to us, and that's concerning to us. And as Americans, Americans have always kind of been back and forth with kind of a cultural isolationism. Well, that's on the other side of the Atlantic. Let it stay over there, and we're kind of here. Folks, those days are over, and anybody who thinks that way is living in denial. There's been some stunning developments within the Catholic Church even over the last month. Uh, the other day, I got a text from my Roman Catholic brother in his alarm, and we're talking, and he and I are completely on the same page on this issue. I don't know, some of you may have watched it, notice what's going on, but for the first time ever, and, and folks, I'm not going to go into it and try to demonstrate it to you, just take my word for it, I know church history. For the first time in 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years of church history, the leader of the Roman Catholic Church has permitted and encouraged pagan idols in the Vatican, in Rome, in, in the central churches of that city. Has anybody followed that? Anybody seen some of that? He set up statues of an earth goddess named Pachamama. You say Pachamama, most people here don't know what it means. I know intimately what it means, having served as a missionary in Ecuador. It's a pagan Inca goddess that demanded human sacrifice is a fertility goddess and just like the goddess Asherah and Baal in the Bible, those ring a bell to you, Asherah and Baal, Asherah is Baal's mother but is also his sexual consort. That's, that's what was going on, that's what the Israelites were facing. They're facing Asherah and Baal, but Asherah married Baal. And so there's all sorts of sexual impurity that comes through that. There's all sorts of violence and child sacrifice. That's exactly what goes on with the goddess Pachamama and her son Inti, the sun god. Pachamama's the mother, Inti's the son, but they're sexual consorts in the mythology of the, of the Inca. And that involved all sorts of orgies, it involved all sorts of human sacrifice and violence, 
and everything else. Statues of that goddess were brought into the Vatican Gardens. You can look at it on YouTube where people were bowing down. And you say, the Pope couldn't possibly have known it. The Pope was sitting 20 feet away blessing it. Now, if you think that doesn't impact you because you're not a Catholic, you're missing the point. Most of the world lumps us all together. So this is extraordinarily serious. This is abomination that causes desolation-level stuff that's going on in our lifetime. 2,000 years of church history. There's been hypocrisy. There's been wickedness at different times in the Vatican. There's never been flagrant pagan idolatry. Some lay people went into the church, took those idols, took them out, and threw them in the Tiber River of Rome. What did the Pope do? He retrieved them, blessed them, apologized, and today they're in St. Peter's with candles lit around them. This is very, very serious. So you're like, where's the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? It sure seems like some heavy things are going down. For this, we have to understand what Jesus means by church. The Greek word used is ekklesia. It's where we get the word ecclesiastical or ecclesiology from. Ekklesia means the assembly. The assembly. And the idea of the church, sometimes it's, it's important to go back to formula, to kind of understand, to get our bearings. What are we, what are we talking about here? The original idea of the church, if you look at the scriptures, you understand that God called out one man from paganism, Abraham. And through Abraham, raised up a holy nation. Out of that, raised up Israel, chose Israel, brought Israel out of Egypt, put his hand on Israel to raise up a holy line to preserve. People ask hard questions. Why did Joshua have to kill so many people? Why all these things? Because I'm going to tell you, if the holy line is contaminated and the life of God is lost, the knowledge of God is lost, no Messiah can come and not one single soul can be saved. God has an eternal perspective. I'm going to say that again. Eternal perspective. Why don't you say it with me? Eternal perspective. In eternal perspective, pain and death are not the ultimate evil. I'm not saying they're good, but I'm saying they are not the ultimate evil for God because he sees things eternally. He's concerned about people's eternal salvation. So he's going to do what it takes to preserve that eternal line. And that eternal line comes first through Abraham, then through Jacob, then through David, and through the line of David, Jesus is born. And he's the savior of the world. By that time, Israel had forgotten why they were chosen. But it doesn't mean that God had forgotten his plan. They were chosen not for privilege but for a responsibility and to bring about God's ultimate purposes. God's ultimate purpose was that through Jesus, all nations would come to know him. That was always his plan. I don't know... If some of you may have heard over the years that the church was sort of God's plan B. Like God, if Israel had kept its act together, then Israel, then, then that would have worked. But Israel blew it and the church was sort of God's plan B. Has anybody heard anything like that over the years? That is absolutely wrong. 
The church was always God's plan. It was always God's plan that the nations would come, that, that there would be a first fruits from every tribe, tongue, language, and people that would come. And they would be, they would be unified. They would come together and they, they would glorify God. And they would be unified not by the, the, the ethnicity or the bloodline that flows through their veins, but by the blood of Jesus Christ that bought them and bound them all together. That's the church. That is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an absolutely radical, crazy idea. I remember the first time it hit me. I was a, it was a, I was a young man. I was reading Ephesians 3, and it hit me. It went off like a bomb. This is, this is what God intended all along. This is the mystery that was revealed to Paul. Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Hebrew of Hebrews, who was so zealous for his own people to the exclusion of all others, and then God opened his eyes and said, the whole time, this is what I had in mind. The whole time. A people that's not homogeneous. In other words, they're not all the same color. They're not from the same social group. They're not, they don't necessarily all speak the same language. They don't think the same way. In fact, God rejoices in diversity. He rejoices that we're all, we're all different. And that's the miracle. That's the point. The point is that we're all different. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, he miraculously unifies us and makes us one. This truth was seamlessly woven together with the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus died for our sins, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is coming, coming soon. This is the truth of the church, and you can read it here in Acts uh, chapter 2, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It says, so, uh, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because they had because many wonders and signs. This is that you got it up there. Good. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of, of all the people. And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This passage in Acts chapter 2 is one of the most iconic passages about the early church. Not the only one. All the way through to the book of Revelation, you can see glimpses through the different writings of the way the early church functioned. The fruit of God's radical idea of the church was evident. It's, it's clearly there. There's love, there's unity, there's miracles, there's reception of teaching, there's growth. All these things are evident. The question that people have asked ever since then is, how did they do it? How did they pull it off? What did the early church have that so often eludes the modern church? And there have been movements, lay movements, grassroots movements. There have been whole denominations formed in, in this quest. It's, it's kind of like the old story of King Arthur trying to find the Holy Grail. Church, the church of the Lord, in, in one form or another, has been on a quest to try to recapture Acts chapter 2 from verse 42, this glorious moment 
What did they have that we don't have? I want to approach this a different way. What didn't they have that we do have? What did they, to kind of do it by process of elimination, what didn't they have? Let me just bring out a few things that they didn't have. Number one, the early church did not have government recognition and they did not have any political leverage at all. They were not legally recognized in any sense, way form, or form by the government. They were not recognized, in fact, the early church was not recognized by the government for another three centuries. That's half again as long as the United States has existed. They were not recognized by the government. And they recognized as well that they were politically powerless. They had no leverage at all with the government. The only thing they had was they could pray for the pagan emperor and, and just pray for his soul. And to put it in perspective, I don't care. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just putting it out there, right? I'm leaving and you can all say bad things about me later. All right, so, but I'm telling you, I don't care who's in office. I don't care if it's Clinton or Bush or Obama or Trump or whoever is next. And somebody's going to be next, whether Trump gets reelected or not. Somebody's going to come after him. How many know the pendulum kind of swings? Okay, it just does. Welcome to America. Of the first 12 emperors, only one was heterosexual. Of the first 12, all of them were sexual omnivores. They were all what we would call today bisexual. All of them. That's what you're dealing with. And they all demanded worship for themselves and their family. They demanded to be called God. That was the atmosphere in which the early church... So if you're thinking, oh my goodness gracious, whatever are we going to do? If so-and-so gets elected, what will happen to the church? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The day we put our hope in a political party, person, or alliance is the day we've divested faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is necessary. They had no leverage. Number two, they didn't have denominations. There were no denominations. What, what, what do I mean by this? There's no us and them within the church. Within the confines of the church, there was no us and them, this dividing. Now, don't get me wrong. There was us and them that goes, it's very evident within the pages of the New Testament, there was some us and them stuff going on. It's the, the only thing is the leadership wouldn't tolerate it. They put the kibosh on it really, really quick. It was not tolerated. That's a natural human tendency to fall into us and them. The whole point is the miracle of the church will not tolerate it. It's, it's an oil and water thing. It just, it just doesn't go. They just didn't have that. They were unified. They were unified in one body. The third thing I want to bring up to me is probably the most powerful. They did not have programs and systems. 
They didn't have programs and systems. This takes a little bit of explanation, but I want to tell you, as a pastor, as a minister, and the different roles that I've played, whether it's a professor or a missionary or a pastor, you are hit with an avalanche of guru books. Man, all you need is a pastor's email address, and man, your inbox is constantly flooded with emails with somebody who's trying to peddle something to you to say, look, if you'll just pull this lever, if you'll just push this button, if you'll just work this system, if you'll just follow these seven steps, then it's all going to work for you, and and everything's going to, no, no, and more no. I'm not saying there, there aren't common sense things we can do. I'm not saying that, that, that wisdom and, 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 and uh, some, some common sense can't be put into effect to bless God's people. That's, 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 that's fine. The problem is, is when we exalt those programs and systems and think if we can just work these programs and systems, then everything's going to work. I want to tell you, There is no expression of Christianity in the history of the world more systematized than that which saw Europe. And now Europe is seeing its churches turn into bars and nightclubs. Systems are powerless unless they're filled with the Holy Spirit. You get people filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God, and you throw a system at them, okay, that's fine. Helps them work more efficiently or whatever. But don't, they did, the early church didn't have them. The early church didn't have these books and church growth things and everything else. It was completely organic. It it just functioned. Last thing I want to say is they didn't have buildings. Notice this passage. They met in the temple. They met in a in a courtyard of a part of the temple. And it says they broke their bread in houses. Overwhelmingly, the early church was a house church movement. And the church grew like crazy. Let me tell you some other things they also didn't have, lest you think that I'm being overly ideal, because some people tend toward that. They didn't have doctrinal maturity. There are all sorts of mistakes that the early church made um, that are recorded within the New Testament. As a matter of fact, they didn't even have the New Testament. They were just operating according to the Old Testament. The the New Testament was in the process of being written. They didn't have long experience, and long experience can teach you things. They didn't have uh, worked out some doctrinal questions that literally took centuries to work out. Uh, And I'll tell you something else they didn't have. They didn't have perfect people. They didn't have perfect people. Hey, there's a chance for us. Glory to God. They didn't have perfect people. We're not perfect. That's tough news for me to break this morning. (laughs) But we're like them. They had problems. Now, what's my point here? We shouldn't dream of being like them. We shouldn't dream of of getting in a time machine and going back. You know what? I don't want to give up the New Testament. I don't want to fight those heresy wars that went on in the first centuries of the church and had to be settled by council after council. I'm glad those things are settled. And you know what? Even some of the other things that I mentioned earlier that, that, that I said they didn't have, those aren't necessarily bad things. A building can be a tremendous blessing. It allows us to gather together in larger numbers. Um, Denominations. God can work through denominations. It's a way for people to organize. 
It's, uh, the Assemblies of God was formed in, in, in great part in order to send out missionaries. And the organization that came with that has been tremendously effective. But I just want to say this. As we consider about what the early church did not have, and as we consider and weigh, Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and yet many who call themselves Christian, many who call themselves a church, have given away the farm. Where does that put us? How do we, how do we get some perspective? Let me tell you, tell you a story. 24 years ago this past summer, it was the summer of 1995, Patty and I went to something as young missionaries called School of Missions. It was on the campus of Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And all these missionaries were gathering together. And there was a, the first night was to be this tremendous uh, service in the chapel where all these missionaries were coming together. And it was a remarkable atmosphere because you had missionaries who were just being appointed to the field. You had other missionaries who had been veterans of over 40 years. You had some missionaries who had just finished their deputation and were about to go to the field. You had others who were just back, I mean, like days before. And I was just like, man, you know, there's going to be a testimony time. And I just want to be around these people. I just want to understand what wisdom do they have. I mean, to, to, my, to my shame, I want to say I was thinking in terms of systems and programs. Like what trick, what lever can I pull? What, what word of wisdom can you give me whereby I can, I can achieve a shortcut to missionary success? And I got in that room and I began to hear, there's open mic, there's testimonies and recognition of different missionaries. A couple stick out in my mind. There was the story of the woman who had served 40 years in Africa as a single woman and she wasn't always single. She and her husband went as young missionaries and he had been raised on that mission field in that West African country and he had gone home, gone to Bible college. They met, married. They had been appointed as missionaries in their own right. They arrived and the first night they were there, the people threw a party for him. They had a big tent. They had lights set up and everything and um, of course it's in the middle of nowhere so they got a truck out there with a generator providing electricity, and the lights went off. And so the young man said, I'm going to go and check on it. And he went to the truck, and the generator exploded. And as he lay dying, he said, don't fight this. It's from the Lord. She stayed 40 years as a widow raised up the Bible school that he dreamed of, gave her whole life for that country and for those people. And you get around that person and you think, what is it going to be to be around that person? And you know what's around that person? Love for Jesus and very little else. And then there was the man who got up. He had just got off the plane and he was a missionary to the Taliban. He took his children to the Pakistan-Afghani border 
and he was there. He lived, he raised his children across the street from a terrorist training center, and he witnessed to these guys. And the way he witnessed to them is he got a whole, no Muslim will turn down prayer. And he, he'd take these great big terrorists by the hands and pray for them like a man from another world and it would shake these men to their core and they'd be weeping and they'd be like I'm afraid to let that man pray for me I'll end up becoming a Christian and he's telling that story and I was around these people and I thought this is all just about loving Jesus this isn't about being cultural experts this isn't about being perfect linguists this isn't about some courage or heroism this is about love for Jesus I want to tell you saints what did the early church not have I'll tell you what they had they had a revelation that God loved them so much that he sent his only son to die that they might not perish but they would have everlasting life and that everlasting life was the overwhelming dominant reality in their lives it steamrolled every other concern that they had every other passion that they had they were caught up in it together they knew that God loved them and they loved him back and because they loved him back they loved each other back people are looking for the angle people are looking for some shortcut People are looking for some, some lever to pull, something to make this thing work, I want to tell you. It's about being crazy about Jesus because you know how crazy he is about you and going to him. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. I want to close today by asking this body to pray for me and by proxy to pray for my wife and my daughter. I've had people ask me, are you, um, is Eden going with you? Um, we thought about putting her in storage uh, while we were in Ecuador, um, but it's just way too pricey. So we're going to take her with us. Yes, we're taking, we're taking Eden with us. We go, as, we go as a family. Glory to God. I want to ask the leadership of the church to come up and step behind me. And A couple of weeks ago, spontaneously, this board came and prayed for me, but I want to ask any who would want to come and, and pray for us as a family, that you come now, you come forward now, and you gather around in front of us, and either touch me or touch somebody who's touching me. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Would you lead in prayer, Jim? Praise God. Just, just come in and come in and close. Hallelujah. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we raise up Pastor Dave and his family, Lord. We put them in your protection. Put them in your hands. We give them to you, Lord, to spread the gospel across 
Southern Europe or Southern America. And Lord, we give him and his family to those families, Lord. We send him with our blessing and with our love. We ask you to be with them, protect them, guide them. Give them your words, Lord, your principles, that they may love and teach those people, Lord, of you. Help him save them. Help them bring them to Christ. In your name and your love, Lord Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you all. Let me close in prayer of everyone here. Father, your word says, commands traveling missionaries, and it turned out that that's what we were really the whole time. God, that if we find a worthy house, that we should impart our peace to it. God, let your peace rest upon your children here around me. Let your peace be in this house. For this time of transition, God, where there's a fork in the road, Lord, let them take the right fork. God, may your countenance truly shine upon them and may your manifest presence grace their every step. Guide them in the way they're to go. Bring to them a shepherd after your own heart. Lord, I know that you have good plans for them. Plans to give them hope and a future. God, let those plans manifest. We pray it and we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed.